Welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, and today for episode 31, we got the one and only Tyler Ray making his return to the podcast. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today, man? It's going great. We, you got us on a good day. There's uh, there's some Sens news that we can actually uh, dig into. Yes, I'm, I'm very glad that we have decided to do this later in the week than earlier because we definitely would have... Uh, Missed a couple of the bigger things um, that that's happened throughout the week, and I was just telling you before recording, I haven't recorded a podcast in uh, in a little while, and that's been mostly because I I don't care too much for preseason hockey. Not that it can't be, not that it's not important. There's obviously we'll get into the opening lineup and guys like Branstrom and Mete trying to make a name right now, but just generally speaking, when there's eight preseason games, I find the first couple are are rather meaningless and it's good to like, I'm not shaming anyone for watching it. If the game's on, I'll watch it, but I try not to overanalyze too much. And I don't, and this is going to be a big talking point as well, but the Brady Kachuk contract talk, I just, I've tried to stay away from it as much as I can on Twitter because it feels like the, the same stuff back and forth. But uh, you know, that being said, it, it's absolutely something we got to discuss. So I guess we'll just start with it. Um, you know, where are you at with this whole Brady Kachuk stuff? I, I know it's gone back and forth. Team wants an eight year deal. He wants a bridge deal. Team doesn't seem to want to do that. It's came out this past week. They're comfortable letting him sit into the start of the season. They're not even at the cap floor yet. Uh, you know, where are you at with things? Yeah, more or less the, the same. I mean, it, it, I think most fans would just like us to, to hear about him being signed and 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 back, and and that's the important thing. Uh, unfortunately, what often comes up with the team when when they have these these big contracts need to be done, uh, they don't always go smoothly, and and that's where we're at now. I think what's more interesting than last week is this is the kind of the point where you know, some of the lid comes off the uh, negotiation. Uh, details you get some stuff that leaks out a bit from either side i know they always say everyone says they don't negotiate through the media but there's certainly some of that going on uh i don't know what that really accomplishes at the end of the day how fans feel about this isn't going to really push things one thing one way or another in my mind but uh for some reason it's very important uh it, for some organizations or, or or certain parties to feel like uh they have the fans on their side uh during these negotiations so it, uh, I'm more disappointed that like the, the whole Brady wants a, a bridge. The team wants a long-term deal. That was true four months ago. I cannot believe that is still the, the sticking point And we haven't moved past that uh, to, you know, one side or finding some kind of compromise. It doesn't sound like they're at that point yet. So uh, that's, you know, the unfortunate part is uh, I think I know the Sens want to do things a certain way, but I don't know if this is the camp you really want to push against for, for, for trying to do things the way you want to do them. I get no indication that, uh, uh, you know, his agents and his family, the way they've done things the best that they're, they're going to settle for anything less than what they feel that uh, uh, he's worth and what, what they want to do in, in terms of structure. So until I think it's on the team to, to come up with, Okay, let's get off of this this uh, you know this one contract structure and and term that we've been talking about for forever. Clearly, he doesn't want to do this. Let's try something new. Yeah, and you know I, the narrative I feel like around it too has been for so long where it's like, oh, if it's a three year deal, it's an absolute failure. And I've always kind of pushed back on that. Where it's like, if you were that 
Like, if you have that big of a lack of confidence in your team that you can't sign him after three years, what are we even doing here? Because it doesn't matter regardless then, right? Like, and I, like, I, there's got to be a compromise either way, but I don't know. Like, I, I <laughs> at this point, I would rather just see him sign and figure out down the road. But it, it, it just, as a fan, it doesn't give me a lot of hope when I hear, like, I saw Gary Ock going in the media or on Twitter today saying something about you may as well just sign him to a fourth year because you walk him right to free agency. And it's like, yeah, there, there is some of that. But like at the same time, if you're spending around your team and your team is good, the players will want to stay and win. You know, like if, if winning truly is above all and, and obviously it's not always for it. It's, you know, sometimes people want to play in a certain city, but by all accounts, Brady does love playing here, living here, you know, even while the team's been quite bad over the last three years. So he still seems like he's having fun on the ice. And, and to me, I always just kind of circle back. It doesn't have to be a bridge deal, but like if you're so against it because you're afraid he's going to walk in three years, it just kind of feels like you've lost the battle already. And, and that definitely worries me a little bit when it comes to these negotiations. Yeah. And I think what's important to understand is, yeah, an eight, we all want a seven or eight year deal for him as fans. And that, that would be amazing, but that is not the norm for guys coming out of uh, entry level. And I guess because we've got Shabbat signed in that way, and that was even a year ahead of his contract being up, he, they did it so early for him and it seemed to be pretty painless. So I think the, under, you know, it sounds like their thinking was, well, we'll just do the same with Brady and they're two different people. And I had looked at this originally, like uh, Shabbat, that deal was signed two years ago, almost exactly, or September, 2019. Since he signed that deal, five other guys have signed seven or eight year deals coming out of entry level. That's it. Like a couple guys right after like Nico Heischer, I think was uh, one of them and uh, Kyle Connor, I think like around that time frame. And then like this summer, uh, Heiskanen and then Makar. Right? And Makar, right? And or is he six? Yeah, maybe he was six. And then like um, Quinn Hughes is six too. So whatever you want, yeah. if you want to kind of throw that in there into kind of a long-term deal. But for the most part, What's been happening since Shabbat signed is that all these guys, or a vast majority of them, are want the bridge deal, and it's because of the economic uncertainty. It really, I'm sure there's an element of from Brady's camp, it's like, okay, well, show me how things are going to go here, because all I've seen in my first three years is you've torn down, gotten really all of my good teammates, and uh, you haven't spent any money. So that's what I've seen from you in three years. You've you know, you put across a plan of how we're going to, you know, get better. All these people around me, all guys I like, uh, we're going to build up this team with me there. That's great. And then you're going to spend more money. That's what you're telling me. So how about we have three years to see that? And then I'm much more inclined. So I feel that element of it. But, you know, more importantly, I think from his team, his camp's perspective, whether it's his dad or brother or whether it's his agents, a three-year deal makes more sense, uh, you know, for your career earnings. That, that is how you're going to maximize uh, the making the most money out of your career in the NHL because uh, you're going to be at 24 years old and really that's when you sign your eight-year deal, right? And, and you're going to get even more money than what you get now. And I know everyone's like, oh my God, $8 million a year. That sounds amazing. Why would you not um, do that? But there's lots of good reasons to that. And maybe signing bonuses meaning a lot, mean a lot to you. And for some players, they do. Some players, they don't. But it's if it is important to you because there are a lot of benefits for a player to have signing bonuses, then in the and your team policy is we don't do that. You have to come up with other reasons to get them off of that. You have to make 
you know, whether that's saying, all right, well then let's make the AAV a little bit higher than what we would normally do to, to combat the fact that we're not going to give you signing bonuses or whatever the, the case may be, but you can't just keep pointing to, well, one of our players did this way and, and had kind of a vanilla structure. So, you know, why don't you do that? Cause he's a different guy. He has different people advising him and that's what they want to do. And I don't think you should take that personally as an organization and feel like he's going to leave at the first drop of the hat. I don't think that's what, where this is going at all, but the way you're, the team's reacting, uh, that's certainly ways to push a guy in that direction. If you're going to, you know, say, especially holding the captaincy over your head saying, well, if you don't sign for eight years, forget about being captain. So he's going to sit here for three, he signs a bridge year, sit here for three years, not be captain, watch them give it to another guy while you're here and, and how is that supposed to really entice you to stay past that time too? So I, I just think it's really short-sighted. Yeah. And that's kind of, it kind of revolves back to negotiating through the media too. And, and that's why I don't really understand when anyone tries to do it because it, all sides just end up looking bad. You just kind of look petty no matter what, right? Like, and, and I get it. Like you got to, you want to try and get your message out, but you know, we have, and it's not just the senators either. Brady's camp is definitely doing it as well. And you know, like his, his bone brothers openly campaigning on podcasts and, and basically like, yeah, you're not a Kachuk if you don't hold out. It's like, okay, well, like, I don't know if I'd be bragging about that. Like, that's not really a way to sell yourself to a fan base either, you know, but. And remember but, that's Matthew. Matthew's not Brady. Right. So, <laughs> and they're all in the same family, but Matthew, says stuff like that a lot and i could never see brady actually saying that so like, like i don't take that personally myself but he's no i don't lot, yeah i don't right? think he's being vengeful or anything on purpose it's just when you when you do that and you say that through the media people are going to take it a certain way whether you mean it or not so it's just like oh, okay this feels like a zero-sum game but uh, you know, what I will say is the, the one thing is that I, I got a bit of a laugh on is I felt like the narrative coming out of last season into this offseason, you know, obviously there was the whole we're going to go get a 1C and a 1D or whatever, a partner for Shabbat, and it never really happened. Nothing came out of it, whether that's their fault or not. But the other big thing that I felt like I heard week after week last year, and this was right around when they hired Pierre McGuire, too, was that uh, Melnick felt this year was playoffs or bust. And now all of a sudden they're comfortable walking into the season with probably arguably their most important player, if not second or third most important player, not under contract. And who knows how long he's not going to be under contract for. He's got, I believe, until December 1st to sign it or he wouldn't be playing at all this year, which would be a catastrophe. Um, but even then, like, I just I don't think you want him to go to December 1st. We saw the only other guy we've really seen with that is William Elander, and he had not a disastrous season, but he clearly took him a month or two to get going after because he just wasn't skating at an NHL level for, you know, six extra months or whatever. Right. So I, I definitely am a little worried. I, I laugh at the quotes being compared now versus then where it was playoffs or bust. Now it's like, well, they're not even going to have their top left winger on the roster maybe to start. But I, I do think it is one thing that like, if you're going to let it go to the season starts fine, but you better get some kind of deal done soon. And, and I mean that on both sides, because I don't think it's in either side's best interest for Kachuk to be sitting out multiple months here. No, I, I don't think so either. And uh, I, you know, you can tell, you know, you're not hearing publicly from Brady, but like from reports are that he's, he's dying to get back on the ice. It, 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 and it, it does make more sense to sign it sooner rather than later but you also have to be in the same ballpark, right? Like you, if you're breeze cam and all the other party is talking about is an eight year deal. And you're, you're saying guys, that's not what we want. Let's talk about other things. 
then it's not going to move forward. And I'm maybe it's more nuanced than that, where we we know know everything that's going on, but that should be the the focus at this point. And uh, my fear is that the team has just painted itself into a corner by by continually you know saying that if they don't get a seven or eight year deal, this deal this thing's a failure. And they've tied so much of their reputation and uh, their goodwill into this one player committing here that it feels like the, they're going to trip over themselves and, and yeah, like sink this season. Uh, he's not going to be in a good position to, to really perform. You're right. And when you miss a certain amount of time, then it's really hard to, to, to get it back historically. Uh, and regardless of whether their plan is to make the playoffs or not, they, they want to be good. They want to be in the mix because they know, and don't let food, the attendance is a big deal for them this year. They need revenue. They know people won't come to the games if if they're mired. If they get off to a below five hundred start, the start they had last year was just disastrous, yeah. right? Like they're, they're not picking up any momentum in in the fan base. That people are gonna not you know show up, and they're already in an awful spot uh, with that. The only saving grace is if they have an exciting team that looks like it's like making a little bit of noise and and might you know be able to you know, scratch into the playoffs and that then you'll, you will get more people come out. You'll gather that momentum and that's really important to them. So yeah, you, you need all hands on deck. It's not a, it's not a deep roster. And if you've lost your best player, that that's not, uh, there aren't these big surprises that I don't feel are going to like bust out and, and uh, uh, make up for the fact that you're missing him. Yeah. Especially because they've already sent a bunch of the, you know, guys that we thought might be in the AHL or even CHL down. And there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, you know, we mentioned it's not a deep roster and they've already lost uh, a piece to it for four to six months. And Colin white, who uh, has uh, was a dislocated torn shoulder. Uh, he heard it in uh, the preseason game the other day, and uh, he's going to be out long-term, which is, you know, unfortunate for again, both him and the team, because uh, the team doesn't have guys just, willing or that they can just automatically replace him. Not that it's the biggest, biggest loss, but obviously any guy's a loss, but for Colin white too, like this is unfortunate because um, you know, I, I've seen it brought up a couple times that he's going to be a prime bio candidate in this upcoming off season, if they really want to make a change. And, and it felt like this year, you know, last year he was up and down. I thought he found some, some chemistry with Paul and even Dadanov at times at five on five on that, that third line. But this year, he really kind of needed to have a big year to show that, no, I still should be part of this team, even if I'm a little overpaid. And it's just, it's really unfortunate to see him, you know, out for minimum four months, because again, like that's a big chunk of your season. Even if you're getting back after that four months, it's going to take a little time to get back up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as it hurts the team, because center ice uh, for this season is the most precarious position. They, they really didn't have the depth there. And if nothing else, Colin White is an NHL center right, or an NHL player. Uh, and they needed one of those to be able to plug in. So him being gone really uh, affects them and probably forces them to make a move somehow. Uh, but it, it's really, it's the worst off for him because he needed to have this season to reestablish himself, to get in uh, the point. Like, because I personally, I had him teetering on whether he was even the third line center on this team or not. I mean, by default, he would have been just because they didn't really have much options, but he is on the verge of being passed by a number of other people in the organization. And, and that contract is just sticking out like a sore thumb. Uh, I know I mentioned the whole, that whole bio 
probably a while ago because the window kind of at the end of this season shuts down for it being at, you know, the, the lesser amount because of his age. Um, it's the ideal to, if you're going to, you know, wipe your hands clean of him, that's when you do it. And if he has, you know, even if he comes back this season, uh, you know how long it takes to get back up to speed. It, it's probably doesn't look good for, for a while. Uh, he's not going to be able to have that chance to do it. So I, I, I struggle to, to figure out how he's in on the roster next season with this happening. And that's too bad for him. He's a nice guy. Uh, the, the teammates seem to love him. I just don't think he's really been able to carve out a niche, you know, to, to show you, you know, exactly what he is contract aside or anything. It, he's had a hard time really fitting in and, and, and being, you know, thought of as a core player on the team. And which is funny because he's been around one of the longest guys that's been around at this point. Um, but yeah, it, it almost points to me like that's it for him in the org. Uh, you know, by the time we're hitting this point next year, I, I can't see him being here. Yeah. And I mean, even cause you know, there's like, I've mentioned he could move to the wing, but if your goal is to a, have a couple more prospects move up next year, or you want to go make a big splash and whether that's via trade or free agency or whatever, like the wing, even right wing is, you know, it's going to fill up pretty quick. If you make a signing there and, you know, obviously you got Batherson and Connor Brown up the right side and, Formington can play both sides. I, I think if he really wanted to, but you know, they might put him at left, but yeah, like for calm white, I think even if we did ignore his contract, I think you're exactly right. He'd be as early as next year, a fringe guy. And, and that's, you know, not even including, you know, what Zach Sanford might bring this year. Austin Watson's got a, another year in the next year. And, you know, and then when you bring the contract in again, like you don't love to, but with this team, you always got to bring the money in. And I think if they have the option to, to save some money, but also some cap space where they can justify it to go spend somewhere else, they probably will take that uh, opportunity if they feel that he's not going to bring anything. So um, it, it is unfortunate, you know, just got to hope for a, a speedy recovery for him. So he can still try and make something out of this season, but um, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they um, try and cover that up because obviously the, with the news that he went down, they almost immediately went uh, turn around and announced that they are going to sign Tyler Ennis off of his uh, professional tryout that he's been on. Um, 900K, one year, 32-year-old. I don't mind it. Uh, I, I would assume this probably means like if they need, like someone like Nick Paul might slide to center and because Ennis plays more wing than he I think Ennis is a better winger than he is centerman, but if he's your 4C, it's not a big deal. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what Ennis can bring this year because uh, I think – I'm not alone when I say two years ago with Ottawa, he was a really good pickup as a, a bottom six guy for cheap, which they flipped to Edmonton, I think for a fifth round pick or something at the deadline. Last year, he struggled a little more in Edmonton. He wasn't a full-time guy. You know, his, even his uh, possession numbers weren't quite as good um, in the Canadian division. So at 32, I'm going to be interested to see if he can kind of find his role as a, that fourth line guy again, and who's playing power play too, and can just, pot, you know, 20 points, 25 points for the team, or if this is going to be the end of the road for him, because he's another guy who really needs a bounce back season, or I don't see him finding a contract anywhere next year. Yeah, he's almost like the, the Ryan Dezingle type where it, it seems like in Ottawa, he, he, uh, he can really fit in and mesh and, and the role, as soon as he leaves and goes elsewhere, uh, it doesn't look nearly as good. Uh, I, I like him as a player. Like he, he's certainly a guy that, uh, meshes well with the group, which is super important for if you're going to have kind of a, a bottom six um, or, or extra player, you want a guy that, that uh, the coach doesn't need to worry about and that all the rest of the guys really like to play with. So he checks all his buttons. He still seems like he can play, like looking at him in the exhibition games. He can't 
seem to finish so well anymore. And I think we should take that expectation away, but he can drive play. Um, his skating's still up there. Uh, he's a smart player. So all that stuff. And he, he, I don't think he'll ever play center here. Cause I don't, I think, but he can flip back and forth between the two wings. So that's kind of nice for versatility. And like, if you don't want this, but if there's a game where a top six player goes out, um, you can slide him up the lineup to, to kind of fill in for that short period of time too. So he's, he's uh, nice. So, I mean, he, and he makes next to nothing. It, to me, it, it really almost had nothing to do with an injury. I think he, because the team had, whether that was a, you know, in the, in the 12 forward spots to start the season or the extra you know, spot on the press box, there was going to be a, a slot for him as, as long as he could show that he could still play. And I think he did that. So I was not surprised at the the contract. And I think it's, it's a nice lot to have, but it, it kind of speaks to the fact that they didn't really do anything in the off season uh, to, you know, bring in any addition that they traded that enough and didn't really, I guess they made the trade for Sanford if you want to uh, point to that, but otherwise, you know, they had the space to bring in a guy like that because they, they didn't really do anything earlier to address it. Yeah, and that's definitely a good point that, you know, um, he probably would have worked his way on here anyways, but I think it absolutely cemented it just because they literally only have 12 guys under contract on the forward roster right now uh, with White being injured. So it'll be interesting to see if this is, you know, what else they do. Like uh, we're going to get into the forward lines here and what we think we're, we might see opening night. But, um, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, – not weak, but uh, it's a, a thin group up front. That's for sure, you know, like – God forbid someone like Norris or Stutzler goes down or Kachuk misses just a contract for a while. Like this team is going to look very thin, very quickly, especially because it's not like they have a ton of guys. I think they're ready to just call up in the minors. Um, you know, they, they have one or two um, that are definitely, I, I mean, they're going to have some guys traveling with them too. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like this team is just absolutely loaded with guys that uh, if someone in the top six goes down, you're going to be able to replace them pretty quickly. So it'll be interesting to see what they do as the year goes on here. And, and, you know, if they are done making trades or anything, um, I, I think they probably are, but we, we saw some late tra- or very early trades, I guess I'll say, you know, at times last year. So if someone comes up and there's a spot available, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ottawa kicking the tires, but like every trade, it's got to be at the right price. Right. So. Yeah. One guy uh, that I'm kind of curious about um, uh, as more of a waiver wire pickup, like I don't think you'd have to trade for is uh, Pierre Engvall from the Leafs. Yep. Uh, only because I, I know they like him. And he's kind of at the cusp there where uh, he should be a full-time NHL player. And he's because he, you know, had made his way up in the HL and spent uh, a good amount of games up in the NHL as well. But they have a, they have a roster crunch they, and they have all these guys and you're, you're sort of squinting to see where they could fit him. So I'm wondering, you know, right at the end of camp, right before you have to submit your roster and they're trying to squeeze them down in waivers. Uh, and that would be an ideal pickup. I think, what does he make? 1.25, which for the for the Leafs is actually a big deal because they're so close to the cap. A guy making 700K is actually a, a better option than someone making, you know, 1.25. Obviously, for the Sens, that shouldn't matter. Um, he's a big guy. He doesn't like he's not physical or anything, but I think he's like 6'4. Like he's he's not uh well, he can play center. So uh and he's the type of guy that like he, he has some offensive upside and you can kind of slot him in in different places. 
I don't want to say Connor Brown because that was kind of a different situation, but, but he kind of got busted down the, the, the depth chart in Toronto. And then, you know, when the Sens gave him a little bit of a chance, you could, you could see, you know, where his ceiling was in the NHL. And maybe this isn't exactly the same situation, but that would be, if, if he was available, I'd want them to jump all over that as someone, you know, to, to bring in and, and could probably, you know, have a positive impact uh, on the lineup. And it, like, I can't see them making a big trade like for someone like substantial at, at this point anyways unless they get really desperate and, and they feel they have to make a move like they not someone else gets hurt or something like that and then maybe they decide to pull the trigger but i imagine they're looking at depth moves at this point and i wouldn't be surprised whether it's trade or, or waivers they get it done uh before the season starts there's there's at least one other guy that's a forward that's brought in yeah, uh, Pierre Engvall is actually the name I was going to bring up. I was tweeting about him the other night because, um, yeah, the Leafs are basically going to have to make a decision about, you know, him versus, um, uh, oh, why am I blanking on his name? Is it Curtis Gabriel, I believe, that they signed uh, from San Jose? Yes, Curtis yeah, Gabriel. Like, yeah, yeah, there's like a couple Joe, that are at the bottom of the lineup. And even like Wayne Simmons and mm-hmm. like guys that they, they can't really send down or get rid of. Like they're kind of blocking those, those spots where he would normally – play yeah and they and can't and they can't even run with like extra guys on the roster right they get because they're right up against the cap so they need like maybe 21 guys or, or, or perhaps 20 to, to start their season to be cap compliant so they don't get to carry any extra guys they have to get rid of them off the roster yeah currently with 13 goalies six defensemen and us so yeah 13 goalies 13 forward six defensemen and two goalies on their roster they have a whopping $80,000 in cap space um so yeah. if they swap out uh, Engvall for like Curtis Gabriel makes the league min at 750 suddenly you're opening up almost enough to maybe squeeze another player in as the league gets going there right because uh, you know there's a bunch of cap maneuver you can do to send guys up and down and up and down to get some daily space but yeah i, I think Engvall is definitely one that's um is worth looking at. Like if he's waived, I absolutely want them to put a claim in on him because um, he's played mostly wing at the NHL uh, level, but um, that more speaks to just how many centers Toronto has too, as well, that he hasn't had to play much center because in the AHL, he played it pretty much primarily in their um, um, Calder Cup run a couple of years ago and, um, you know, was uh, effective in doing so. So um, yeah, that's absolutely uh, him or a player like that. I haven't really checked out who else might be waived, but it also feels like one, you know, every Every year, there's a couple guys around the league where you go, oh, why is he on waivers at the start of the year? And if Ottawa could pick up a guy like that to, you know, try and help round out their depth in the bottom six, I, I think that would be um, a savvy pickup. You know, you don't waste any assets or anything. And worse comes to worse, if it doesn't work out, it's probably a dude with one year left. You just wave him again or, you know, see if any other team wants to take a flyer on him. So, um, yeah, I think that is absolutely a move we could see. Um, let's get into the actual opening night right, lineup. Um I can let you make a prediction if you want. Do you think Kachuk will be there or do you think he's going to sit out a week or two here to start the season? Well, I think we're past the point where he could even suit up opening night. Like even if they signed him tomorrow, I mean, maybe, I guess uh, anything's possible, but like I would go, I don't think it's going to, my personal opinion, and it's not based on anything. I, I don't think it goes very long, but I also think they probably at the bare minimum miss a game or two with him uh, at this point. So I don't know what they're going to do. Like I have kind of, I think I've thought of lines in my head with him and then without him is, is, is weird because they they're starting suits up like for, for at least this uh, 
uh, preseason games just on that line to to make. I don't think I mean, maybe that works out well. They're also trying to find someone to play with Stutzla is the problem. Uh, I think they could settle in probably with Pinto now being up there, that that's a better fit um, on on the second line. But what I really like, what I'd love for them to do if, if Kachuk isn't around is, is just slot Formant in there because we've already seen that in preseason. Uh, that's looked really, uh, really good. And Norris and Formanton and Babson have all played together in AHL as well. Like they have some chemistry there already. Formanton can keep up with them. He's a great, uh, you know, he's not Brady, but he he forechecks and he, he does some of those things. He'll go to the front of the net like that. Uh, and then he he's obviously has that speed that, uh, that distinguishes him. So I'd love to see him in there somewhere in the top six. Uh, Cause I feel like that's where he's headed eventually. Um, if they can kind of sort that out. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with Nick Paul though. Like whether the idea is to switch him to center, because I, I thought I heard DJ say that as a media available today, that that was an option, but they weren't doing it at this point. So um, that sort of would, would jiggle some things loose too, if they moved him over to, to center um which he can certainly do uh and he and he's a big guy coach likes him you know if you want him on your third line to do that then then that's certainly uh, uh an option there but uh yeah i think what i'd love to see this season assuming everyone's around uh i'd like to see what a second line looks like that, uh where um they can find someone to play with this because that should be the you know the priority in the early part of the season is uh because he has not found really anyone to with amazing chemistry yet to play with yeah and i think that you know kind of speaks a little bit to what the how this roster is made so far too because if we're gonna go kachuk batherson uh norris up front which i i don't really disagree with that was a great line and you know really held this team together at times last year um you know if you want to say those are three on, on that first line it's like okay well the the high end skill really falls off pretty quick at that five six position. You know, Pinto I think absolutely has the potential to do it, and you know, Formanton might be an option too. But again, I think Formanton's more of a lefty than a than a righty. Not to say he couldn't slide over if he needed to, but um, you know, that was kind of the thing where. I'm going to be curious, really curious to see what they do on the right wing going forward, because, um, you know, I, I get that enough didn't have a good season last year. Um, you know, he was unlucky at times five on five and was but frankly just a mess on the power play. But um, I'm not convinced that Connor Brown is going to be a 30 goal scorer, top six for sure, second line winger. And I like Connor Brown, but, you know, if he reverts back to what he's been a lot of his career, which is just a really, really solid third line winger. I would be shocked at that. So then I kind of wonder what you're doing on that right wing with the second, second or third line. And um, you know, like it's not like there's any immediate help coming from the minors because even a lot of their prospects like Ridley Gregg and Robbie Gerventi are, are left wingers. Um, you know, Sokolov is listed as a left winger as well. Maybe you try and get one of those guys over to the right, but um, you know, just, I, that's what I'm going to be curious with. Um what, what they do on that right wing, you know, Sanford is a left winger as well. So do you um, go with Connor Brown? And then that third line can be something like, um, you know, Nick Paul. Um, I'm trying to maybe, maybe Tierney slides down to the third line with white out and then put someone like Tyler Ennis up there or um, slide Formanton over there or whatever. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do because uh, this right side is looking um, uh, very, very thin, even compared to the rest of the team. 
as it stands now, like I'm sure things will change, but it looks like they're gonna like the the bottom six is some combination like the the third line uh, is is you know Formanton maybe Paul in the middle and then Ennis. They look like that's where they they like to slot those. Watson's got his fourth line spot uh, sewn in, and then Sanford looks to be the other winger in the fourth line. Um, we can talk about Sanford so far because that seems like I'm wondering about him. But uh, and then they have this like you know, this gap for the fourth line center that right now they're trying out Agazino and and you know I, I like Bishop maybe yeah or like Castle. I mean Thierry's in the mix too somewhere right. Um, so so I don't exactly know um, how that's going to shake out per se, but it looks like that they want Ennis to be on the right side. Uh, at least that's where the, the spot is for him. And obviously Austin Watson's going to be on your, on your fourth line. So the right wing there, I guess, at least they have the guys. It's just, you know, who's playing center with them and uh, you know, who who's dressing and who's not. Cause I kind of have an extra, cause I, I can't see, I guess just a guy. It's like Clark Bishop. Like, they're, they're I'm sure capable guys that are, that they don't move the needle in any way, shape or form, but do you need your fourth line center to really do, you know, a whole lot besides not hurt you. Uh, you know, that's, especially if, you, if your wingers are Sanford and Watson, like it's not like they're, they're going to go out there and, and uh, be generating a ton of scoring chances and things like that. You just want a guy that's kind of there. So I'm not over, like it could be Castlick or something, right? You could have a guy come up and, and play center on that fourth line and just kind of be there. Uh, but I think then if that's the case, you really, you have to make sure your third line's especially, uh, effective in general, because the fourth line's not going to do much for you then at that point. Yeah. And that's an area, I think you're basically just putting the fourth line out there and telling them don't get scored on. We don't care if you score, just play the evens for 10 minutes a night or whatever it is. Right. And it's been effective for some teams, but the, the, the biggest problem with that is your top three lines all really need to be dominant. You know, not even just your third line, you really need your top six to be outscoring the other team's top six. And if that doesn't happen, you're going to be in a lot of trouble really quick. So, um, you know, another name I'm going to be keeping an eye on here is I don't think he'll come up definitely right away, but you know, if the injuries start to pile up through the season is uh, Parker Kelly, I, I know, you know, I, I don't know if he's necessarily ready, but uh, the org speaks pretty highly of him. And, and I've seen a lot of love for him online, too. So, um, you know, he's a guy who feels like if I, I, he's definitely going to start in the AHL, but threw up 16 points in 57 games in 2019-20 and then 18 points in 33 with Belleville in 20. 20- Last year, he played one game, had a, had a goal in the one game too last year with Ottawa. Um, but, you know, he, he could be a call-up option, I think, um, probably if more injuries, not just uh, if things are going wrong, but you never know, right? Like, that's another guy I'm at least going to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and I, I totally forgot about him, and I shouldn't have, because, uh, like, he's nicked up a bit now, so he hasn't he's not playing, but I don't think it's serious. Um, I, I actually... I think he makes a team to be like, I, I think they'll find a place for him uh, because like you said, they love him. They've been talking him up forever. He played in every single exhibition game up until when he got hurt. Uh, he's kind of your quintessential fourth line. So it's almost like, why is Curtis Sanford here? If you had like this cheaper internal option that does all the things you want to do. But in any case, I think, yeah, he will, he is a potentially like he could be pushed down because they can send him down no problem. But yes, he would, if that's the case, it won't be too long before he's up. Someone gets hurt. He'll be slotted in there. Uh, and I think they, they love him. He does all the buzzsaw 
uh, stuff. If you put them on a line with Austin Watson on the other side, right. You're thinking, of, and then like, eventually like the idea is that like, Ridley Gregg maybe there. And then you, you make like just a, a horrible line for the other team to deal with, uh, because of all the, the, the nastiness that they bring. But, um, yeah, I think like DJ won't shut up about him. So that, that is always a good sign that they probably want to get him in to, to, uh, to the lineup as much as they can. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I, I talked to you before we started recording here that I wasn't going to, we weren't going to touch on the Logan Brown trade too much, but I haven't brought it up on this podcast since it actually happened. And I will say Sanford is a much better player than I thought they would get for uh, uh, Logan Brown at the time. Like he's an actual NHLer who is, you know, does positive things while he's on the ice. I don't think he has super high upside or anything, but um, you know, this Colin White injury is exactly why I don't think they should have traded Logan Brown because, you know, Colin White goes down, suddenly you're not scrambling to see who's going to be your third line center, fourth line center. You know, you have Logan Brown who can start at that third line if you needed to. And, and, you know, you have, as we just, we've talked about plenty of depth on the left wing. So you don't really need to worry about that either. And um, you know, it's just one of those things where I don't know if short sight is the word. I, I think they had made up their mind a while ago that Logan Brown's time was done with this organization. Um, and, you know, not all of that is on them either. At some point, the dude's got to stay healthy and he just, he never really did that. But, um, you know, I think this, this call, this um, calm white injury is exactly why, you know, even if you don't have him in your immediate plans, you keep him around to start the season. But, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. Sanford's, Sanford's going to start probably on that fourth line. We'll see what he brings. But I figured it was worth it to bring it up, you know, while we're talking about the lack of options at center and, and on the right wing. You know, they they had a centerman that they they traded for another left winger. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fan of, of, of Logan being here, but I, I do recognize all the issues that have come up there. And, and in, in a lot of ways, like I don't fault the organization for, for some of the stuff, like I feel like they probably could have given longer looks at different parts, but yes, if you keep getting hurt and it didn't sound like the attitude was necessarily, you know, see there, the relationship to the, when we got to this point, it was soured. It, there, I don't think, I think in a, in a vacuum, it would have been great to have him around. I just think both parties didn't want to deal with each other anymore. So if you get to that point, uh, it's hard to keep someone around, right? Because they're, they're just, you know, they're bringing everyone else down with the way they feel. They're not happy to be here. Uh, you don't really, you don't trust them. You don't really know what you got there. So uh, I, I understand them kind of saying, okay, what can we get from at this point? I, and, you know, maybe that was what they could get. Uh, Sanford certainly is an NHL player, uh, but yeah, they went and got filled up a position they absolutely did not need to address because uh, left wing is the one spot in the organization where they have like a lot of depth uh, and whereas center right wings, not that um, what's been interesting to me since, and I haven't seen a lot of them play. Like I knew of them. Uh, I know he was on the, on their cup run. He was, he was part of the team and he played a bit there. But uh, it's interesting to hear the way uh, DJ answers questions about him because he's been asked like, what's your impressions of him? What's he been so far? And the response is so far is like, well, he's just a guy that's, it's a veteran. He's getting settled on a new team. Like there's clearly at this point, we haven't seen much. like the stuff I've seen him in the games. He, he hasn't done anything. And I understand new team preseason who, who cares, but you know, you better hope that you get something out of this guy because he makes over 2 million bucks. A good thing that it's only the one year left on it, but 
if he's just kind of just going to be a passenger out there, that's not, uh, you know, amazing because they need contributions from, you know, everyone in that lineup. They can't have guys like that just kind of hanging around uh, and not really, you know, moving the needle at all. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's one of those things where, again, like it's the, the top six is good, but it's not like this top six is absolutely dominant yet. So if this team wants to be good, they're going to need uh, some contribution from everyone in this lineup. And, um, you know, when it comes to Logan Brown, I, I do understand. Let's face it, like there's an avenue where this team this year is just not very good again. I'm not saying they need to be bottom three in the league, but if they're the 10th worst team or whatever, like it wouldn't shock me i'd almost like project them to be around there but you know if you're losing a couple games in a skit or whatever at any point in the year the last thing you need is a dude who's already miserable on the roster because he doesn't get along with the team right and it's the same idea in the ahl it's like okay we'll just wave him and if he makes it through you can play in the ahl it's like look at how many young guys that already named off that are in the ahl this year it's like do you really want a guy who's miserable that he's there because he's been there for five years now already, um, you know, spreading that attitude around your locker room. So I, I, I do understand that, you know, moving him was um, something that they felt they had to do. Um, you know, part of me wishes they would have at least tried to recoup his value a little bit more. I think that was the biggest problem I had with the whole scenario is just, you know, like they didn't do themselves any favors at any step of the way either. Like, even if you don't like the guy, you don't need to publicly say we don't like this guy, you know, which I felt like obviously Dorian never came out and said that, but whether it was through the media or just, you know, obviously their actions, it's just like, well, when you constantly send the guy down, there's always negative comments about, you know, how often he gets hurt and his character and stuff. Of course, teams aren't going to be lining up around the block to give you assets for that guy. Right. Like, and so I don't know, like, I don't know how much different they could have handled it, but I would have, would have wished that at times it was handled at least a little bit differently. Yeah. There was an approach that they could have taken this off season where they came to him and said, listen, uh, we're ready now. Like we, we either need to, you know, get your value to the point where we can trade you to a place you want to go or we'll see if you can, you know, be a, a, you know, a member of this, the NHL club. So we're coming into camp uh, with the, you know, expectation that you're going to be on the team, show us something there uh, where we can, you know, saw you in. Maybe if, if things go well, you can get, you know, some half decent line, uh, line mates, if that's the case. And uh, you'll actually have a, an NHL season. And if things go well, then you're going to be able to open up opportunities for us to get you somewhere else, you know, kind of get him on board with that so that, you know, everyone's coming in with the right attitude. Um, I just, I, it sounded like they, they couldn't even sign the qualifying offer right until, until right before camp started. So the, the, I think the relationship at that point was just so busted that, uh, you know, that they both parties were like, just, let's just not have me around anymore. I don't want to be here. So I guess that's the way it went. So, which is unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. Um, other big thing, I think on the defense, you know, if we're going to switch to the defense quick here, uh, I think the biggest question is going to be, where does Michael Del Zotto play? Is he the seventh defenseman, like the odd man out? Or, um, you know, is he uh, in the lineup taking a spot of say Brandstrom or um, uh, Mete, excuse me. Um, and, you know, that if we heading into the preseason here, I, I would have said that, yeah, Unfortunately, I think Del Zotto's automatically got a spot. You know, we don't uh, see them. They're definitely not sending him down or anything like that after the fresh uh, two by two contract. But at the same time, um, you know, as the preseason goes on here, it sounds like there's more and more of a chance that uh, Del Zotto is uh, 
Um, you know, at least a six slash seven where he's rotating in and out. It won't just be him. Um, I'm definitely curious to see how this goes. Uh, I will say if there's one thing, you know, to be very positive with DJ Smith is in the past couple of years, he has, he's shown he's not afraid to sit guys down who make more money than others on this team. You know, whether that be um, Chris Tierney last year at times and near the end of the year, he took a seat. Um, I'm trying to think if, if it was Bobby Ryan or someone a couple of years ago, there's just been a couple of guys where you can call him white at the beginning of the year. He, he doesn't really care for salary. If you're not playing well, you're going to sit. And um, you know, that, that gives me a little hope because I, I don't think, Del Zotto should be a mainstay in this lineup when you have Shabbat, uh, Branstrom, and Mete on that left side. And then, um, you know, I would take Zaitsev out personally, but he's not going to be out. So you have Zaitsev, Zub, and um, Holden slash Josh Brown on the right side. Yeah, the whole, and we have to circle back with Del Zotto is what is the point of Michael Del Zotto? Because uh, I, I definitely subscribe the fact that they needed to upgrade their D going into this off season, um, you know, whether that was with a short term, you know, or, or something bigger, uh, you know, the, the baseline should be, it should be a guy to upgrade Zaitsev from that. That would have been my thinking. I don't think there was interest there just because I, they don't, I don't think they were looking to spend big money. So they're you know, trying to shop around and see who was available. But the thing is uh, I know, we, or I think we all know the types of defensemen that DJ kind of, it's not that he only likes these types, but he will default to bigger guys. He was a big burly defenseman. That's the way he played it. And he just believes that you need that on, on uh, your blue line. And it, you can be small. It's okay. But uh, you're going to have to have all these other factors that, that really mitigate the fact that you're small. Whereas if you're a big guy, um, you can kind of get the benefit of the doubt a bit and you have to play yourself out of the lineup, which is what things like good Branson, Colburn, guys like that. That's what happened. Right. Uh, Del Zotto's not big. Del Zotto's not an offensive. So the other thing is like, well, maybe we need, if, if Brandstrom's, we don't feel like he's ready. We need another guy to besides Shabbat that can kind of push the play uh, like that. And that's not Del Zotto anymore either. Right. Like he used to be early in his career, but he's been on nine teams. He's a journeyman defenseman. I think a lot was put on that he looked half decent in Columbus last year. And it might, and that could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe he was sheltered. You know, there, that was Columbus was a terrible team. Do you trust many of the results coming out of there? Um, what's a little bit concerning for me is that, okay, so they hired Pierre McGuire. Uh, I don't know. He, they never said exactly what he does, uh, but presumably uh, the, because I, uh, was it VP of, of player development? But player development's like your Sean Donovan's and your uh, uh, Jesse Winchester's—the guys that like kind of work with all the AHL guys. I don't—I don't think Pierre Maguire is doing that. I think Pierre Maguire is there to whisper in Pierre Dorian's ear about, you know, your pro scouting and and uh, the the guys that are out there um, that you could do, and he could give you some further intel on that guy. Uh, it looks like that would have been a guy that he would have been intimately, you know, aware of and, and probably recommending. And if that's your first, you know, foray into advising the GM, I hate to write a guy off like this early, but I, he's never been that great. And uh, he is not a guy DJ really, I think that's why already he's like, eh, I don't know about this. I, I have, he's not going to have a problem sitting him because he's not a DJ Smith type player to start with, unless he shows that he's really good, 
he knows Mete and Brandstrom better than he knows Delzato. And uh, so if, if those guys continue to do well, and I think they've been playing themselves on a team, he's been trying to downplay it, but you can hear in the last couple of days, he's saying great things about both those guys and how they've kind of worked on some of those elements that, that have held them back in the past. Uh, he knows that he needs puck movers. So I think that's probably where we're at. We'll see where the rotation lands, but he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt like some of the other guys that they brought in, I don't think. Yeah, and like this Delzato signing would have made more sense to me if they didn't have Victor Mete or Eric Branstrom on the team already. Like if, if you signed him to be your third left-hand defenseman because you didn't have any other options and you needed a stopgap before Jake Sanderson gets here at the end of the year, Sure, I would understand that. But you already have Branstrom and Mete who do exactly what Delzato does well in terms of helping generate offense, but they can also transition the puck and they're, be- frankly, better defensively than he is. It's not like Delzato is some stalwart defensively. He struggles actively in that area, you know? So it's, it's I never understood the signing. I, I really didn't. I thought the Holden trade, you know, for, for Dadnov again, I, I thought Holden's a fine player. I like that. He can play the right side. He's a guy who, when he got to play was responsible defensively. So he can at least help the team in that aspect. And, and maybe you can argue, you know, not a lot of their players are super responsible defensively. So Nick Holden can come in and help with that, whether it's on the left or right side, but like, yeah, Michael Delzato is just like, well, you got two guys who are younger, cheaper and better than him already on your roster on the second and third pair what is the point of this? And, and, you know, maybe it's just insurance. And if that's the case, sure. But like $4 million is a lot of insurance for two years, you know, like you could find a bunch of guys for pretty cheap. Yeah. I, I, I question that move. I, I, I'm with you on Holden. I like him. Uh, I think uh, for a variety of reasons, like he's a big rangy guy. He's not like super physical, but he's big and, and takes up space. And he's also like, he's a smart player every time whether it's in Vegas or, or the Rangers, uh, sometimes he kind of fits in the rotation, but whenever he comes into the lineup, um, he always does really well and he, he gets good reviews. Uh, I think he's the perfect guy to partner up with someone like Brandstrom, a less experienced guy uh, that can kind of stabilize that. So in, if that was their thinking, uh, I'm going to give him the credit to, to say like, that's, that's maybe what they're thinking with Holden. Uh, I love that move. Just does auto doesn't fit within this mix. And I think uh, I was sort of, I was on the impression they, you know, Branson was never going to be a part of this mix unless there was injuries, but now it feels like they might go with 8D, which is the only way you make this work because the other seven guys have one way to deal. So you, they're not going anywhere. So if you, if you are okay, keeping two extra D around and more and sitting two of them in the, in the press box, you know, size and maybe rotating, you know, in a Brown and, and Holden and, and Zelzato kind of moving in and around. Uh, and then maybe, you know, Branson Mete can, if there's a particular type of opponent you want to match up a little bit differently with, they, they can come out there, but you're mostly sticking with, uh, I think Mete or Branstrom in the top four, say paired with Holden. Um, you have a much better, I'm not saying that's great, but it's a much better alignment than whatever they were coming out with, with Delzato Zaitsev being any, like, that's a scary, scary pairing. Uh, yeah. I think, that experiment was awful right away. And hopefully DJ noticed that. And that's why the changes have been made. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see, but I, they have some pieces there. So I, I'm, and remember Sanderson is coming. It, it's, it's like the end of in the spring, he's going to be here. I doubt he plays a game of AHL. 
he, he will be an NHL player right away. And so you kind of have, you know, that slot's going to be um, taken up pretty quickly, uh, you know, as, as we move through the season as well. Yeah. And that's why I think it's such an interesting year for Brantram and Mete, because I really do kind of get the feeling that this year is going to be a tryout to see which one is on that third pair next year, or maybe start on second pair and go to third pair when Sanderson's ready for more minutes. Cause yeah, it's so Shabbat and Sanderson are locks on this left side for the next handful of years, uh, which naturally only leaves one more spot, you know, and then a seventh defenseman role. But I, I don't think they're going to want to put either of those guys in the seventh, especially if Delzato is still being paid next year. But um, yeah, I, I'm very happy they have not gone with Delzato Zaitsev because uh, something's got to be aggressive when I want to write about it right away. And that was something I wrote about it right away. I was like, Delzato is a shutdown pair is going to be a damn nightmare for this team. If that is what they want to do. And it's like, even without Zaitsev, I think it would be a mess. If you're putting Nikita Zaitsev as his partner, good night. But um, yeah, I, I'm happy. I definitely want to see some combo of Shabbat Holden. Zub and then one of Brancha and Mete in the top four there. And, and um, I, I'm excited to see what Shabbat and Zub look like together, but I could almost like hear an argument that, you know, Shabbat, we've seen him run his own pair. If Holden and Shabbat worked well together, I would almost be okay with, you know, Zub and then one of Branch or Mete playing together because I think Zub could help them out as well. So any combo that in the top four, I think would be a, a nice mix to see and a, and a nice change for once. Yeah. I mean, they, they have to hope for, for this season's, uh, that Holden is good, that he can that he can play top four minutes for for them because that would help them out immensely with with the rest of it. Because uh, yeah, they, then you have the option if you want to move Zub around because you know what you're getting from him. He's gonna he's gonna be able to anchor one of those pairings uh, as well. Uh, yeah, the, the important thing is is making sure that uh, you know Shabbat's set up in the best way to succeed because uh, he's the straw that stirs everything back there. You need him. To be generating and i think the way you do is you keep his minutes down and i think we've seen that over the last two years if the guy plays 25 minutes 25 26 minutes perfect when you start playing more than that maybe maybe not in that game but then you start seeing the flubs and him looking like he doesn't know what he's doing or making the big dumb plays because they're just leaning on him too much you can't have him play that much so hopefully um you know they've they've got that worked out to a better distribution of lifetime yeah, and quite honestly, I'd be okay this year if, um, you know, the game's super out of hand one way or the other. His ice time gets cut to 22 and a half, 23 minutes for just a single night here and there, you know, just give him a bit of a breather. Because, again, you have Mete and Branstrom behind him who can help take some, you know, do what he does. Obviously not to the same degree, but if you're losing by a bunch or you're up by a bunch, yeah, like you got to take care of Shabbat, not just for this season, but for going forward too. You know, we've seen guys fall off a cliff because they played too many hard minutes. And I would hate for that to happen to Shabbat in four or five years down the road because he played 28 minutes a night in the most meaningless games for three seasons while this team was rebuilding. Right. So, um, one last thing I had before I get you out of here is uh, I had a question from Mike Little. Um, he said, uh, uh, how much are dumb things we see from the Sens as a result of deep lack of staff at all levels of the org? Pretty, he says it feels pretty wide range to him, so it could include trade, scouting, drafting, arena ops. Um, I, I might switch dumb to just uh, different things because I, I definitely don't think, um, you know, like so, sometimes they obviously, I, often they go off the board drafting. I, I don't think you can call that dumb. It's It's different and there's parts I disagree with, but at the same time, they have a pretty good track record of success at doing it. So I wouldn't call it dumb, but I definitely think um, 
where this comes in personally, I was thinking about this question today. And I think one of the biggest things that, and we don't get to see it at an on ice level, but um, the lack of staff, I, I think it really um, comes into effect with the lack of voices. And this is kind of my problem with the Pierre Maguire voice uh, hiring this year is he's a really good yes man, but is he someone who's going to like passionately disagree? Or do you have a bunch of guys, a couple of guys who are all kind of thinking the same way. And, you know, by that, I mean, like, if someone says, hey, Michael Delzato is a great signing, is there anyone in that room that's pushing back and going, why would we sign Michael Delzato? We got three better guys on the left side than him already. Or is it just a bunch of guys that go, yeah, I really like what I've seen out of him. And they all sign. And that's one of the spots I wonder where a lack of front office staff, does that hurt their you know pro scouting and decision making altogether? Yeah, I mean, there's there's the pro scouting and then there's there's amateur scouting, right? And I, I think you're seeing different results from, from both groups uh, on, on like the pro scouting side, like uh, Pierre, I think it's funny. Cause we've listened to him so much on the radio uh, before he took the job uh, just talking about it. So we can kind of have a good idea and I'm sure he's different in private, but like publicly um, he seems to love every single player in the league. So like, it, it's hard to like, it, he probably says yes to everyone because he's, he's seeing, certain elements that he likes in the, in the game. Like I have a hard time him really saying, no, this guy's terrible. You, you shouldn't, you know, that's, that's a red flag. Let's not go after him. Um, what, what's happened on the, the, the pro scouting side, when you have the, a small group like that, you're right. Like it's a lack of voices coming in. Uh, but what, what you tend to, you, it's just a smaller field of, of potential candidates. So what ends up happening is when you go and are trying to find an NHL player, whether it's a trader or a free agent signing, uh, a lot of it seems to be based on how that guy played against you. So the GM or coach remembers when Michael Bodker scores a hat trick against you. Sounds like a good guy to pick up in a Mike Hoffman trade. Why not? Uh, and then there, there's guys that, um, you, you know, don't really have the, you know, where it's the coach's history with them, right? So he, I was, yes, that's so, what I was going to bring up. So, like, whether whether it's Key Boucher or DJ, right? He's like, ah, this guy played for me before, and so that seems to be your pro scouting. It's like, well, my he played for me three years ago, and I liked him then, so why don't we get him now? Uh, without someone saying, well, you know what, I've watched him recently <laughs> on this other team, and he's not been that good, so maybe we shouldn't, right? So I think in that way, it's limited and it comes down to yeah, lack of voices on the amateur side. What's interesting, I think they're probably the model for the team that's, you know, gets the best bang for its buck from a small setting group. And what they've done, I think the reason why on the amateur side is because they've decided, okay, we only have a certain amount of guys. Uh, they will cover this geography. We're only going to really concentrate on these areas because we feel like a lot of good players come out of these programs, this group. So we have guys watching intently the U.S. national, you know, under 18 program. A lot of their, a lot of their draft picks come from there. Uh, we we have a guy in the Western Hockey League and he scours there and that's where we're picking up a lot of players there because he's contrary. We're not going to, we don't care about Russia. We don't care about Finland. With the guy in, in uh, Europe, he's only really going to look at Swedish teams, right? Like if they, if they grab someone, that's where, where he is. So they're limiting where they're looking, but they're going to places that tend to generate uh, good players. And they know because they concentrate so much, they know a lot more about those players because they're just, that's all they're looking at. So they get the best players from those groups. And to this point, 
I think it, you know, they, you can point to their success there. Uh, it, it's a different kind of model. And so that seems to work, but also like if you don't have Trent Mann there, like maybe it doesn't work, right? It, it, it's about, they have a couple good pieces that personnel wise that I think that, that are really driving the ship there. And that helps when you have a smaller staff, but um, you know, it's, it's razor thin. It's a margin of a very, you don't get to, to make mistakes when, when you have that. That, that's exactly what I was about to say is the margin of error gets so much larger when you uh, have such a small staff where it, it can work and we've seen it work, you know, like, and obviously they don't hit on every prospect. No one does. Prospects are uh, very random, very wild and, and hard to pick out, but yeah, it's, you need the exact right staff when you have the smaller one. And I would say the other big, I think obvious evidence of just a lack of front office staff to me, that's pointed out in the last three or four years was um, trade deadline a couple of years ago when they were trading Mark Stone um, Pierre Dorian had such little help that he basically admitted he did like half the deals he wanted to, like they sold off. I think it was Nemestikov, Ennis maybe that year, or maybe Ennis was the year after Nemestikov, someone else, and then stone, but stone went down right to the wire that he basically had to put all his efforts on stone. And there was like three or four other guys he could have traded that day probably. And he's like, I simply ran out of time. And it was just like, that is kind of where you go, oh, wow, I don't think a GM should be running out of time. And part of that is just because they just don't have enough help sometimes in that front office, I feel like. So that, that was another point that stuck out to me. I, again, I don't know. Dumb might not be the right word. I definitely do disagree with a lot of their pro scouting. I cannot remember a team that has relied this aggressively on their coach to give out like half of their pro And I get it. Like all coaches have impact input into who you're going to get. Like you don't want to just saddle your coach with a bunch of guys he hates or anything like that. But like, it really does feel like, okay, we need a guy out of these four. Who do you like? It's like, well, I played uh, that guy played for me six years ago, back in junior hockey or whatever. So that's the guy I want. It's like, well, he's not where near what you remember him being in junior hockey, but yeah, that I think that is definitely the biggest area. Yeah. And the coach is not a scout, right? Mm -hmm. They're not watching this guy. They he. They're basing it on their experience with that player, which maybe have been, you know, X amount of time in the past. They're not, you know, keeping up with, you know, exactly where they're at now. They, they have too much on their plate. They're doing, they're coaching their team, right? The scouts are supposed to be the ones that are out and watching these guys on an ongoing basis. Um, and I mean, again, throwing in, grab a few analytically inclined people in there to be able to say, guys, take a second pass at this player. It's, you know, there's some red flags that are here on underlying numbers that you might want to consider and, you know, be open to that feedback as well. Cause you can have a bunch of guys like that saying stuff. If you don't listen to them, then what's the point? Uh, but that would help too, because there's a bunch of guys that they get and right away you're like, well, this is not a good player. I, I can tell I'm just a fan sitting here and I can tell you that. Uh, and, and I don't have to look up too much stuff to tell you. So I, I don't know why you have it in your head that he is a good player. Uh, that's there. So, I mean, that's, that's an ongoing frustration as well. Yeah. It wasn't a shock to too many analytically inclined players when uh, Erica Branson turned out to be actually bad last year. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of people said, Hey, this probably isn't going to work out. And it did not. But uh, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up anyways. Uh, it should be, an exciting season to say the very least. I don't know what's good in store, but it'll be nice to see some fans back in the stands. And I know I'm going to try and get out. I, I'm, I live six hours away from Ottawa, but I'm going to try and get out once or twice this year as well. Um, you know, with the, the double vaccine and everything, uh, it's good to see that, you know, they're trying to do this as safe as possible. So that's always exciting as well. 
yeah i uh it's been a while since i've been able to go see them in person so i am looking forward to that too that just just to get to see nhl hockey and in person is is a good enough thing to be looking forward to as well and yeah and i i do hope they have a good season i want them to play well i don't want them to be bad so uh it's always fun to watch these guys uh out there playing and and uh hopefully you know getting us to the point where, uh, you know, we, we can see some uh, light at the end of the tunnel for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and anything you do? Yeah, well, really, uh, I'm uh, Twitter's the, the best place to find me. That's, that's where I'm usually letting my thoughts be known at defense minister. So uh, you can give me a follow if you like, and I, I'm always happy to engage with people, uh, you know, in replies and things like that. If, if uh, you, you do want to, chat sends and uh uh yeah that's where i make my home and uh, uh had for a while so continue to do so thank you so much for joining me i'll have to have you on as the season gets going we've got more to talk about yeah i look forward to it anytime huge thanks to tyler for joining me uh as always it was an absolute blast recording with them i hope everyone enjoyed it as well uh it's been about a month since i recorded the last one life's just been a little busy and uh to be honest as i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast there wasn't a lot to talk about uh you know, we, we discussed the Brady stuff today, but there's only so many weeks you can go, you know, round after round talking about the Brady Kachuk stuff. And I found that's all Twitter's been. And, and uh, yeah, as we get off of preseason and obviously next week the actual season starts. So we'll definitely be back up to every seven to ten days. I'm hoping to get a podcast out. And uh, I'm just going to explore it with things again this year, you know. Definitely, I think... My goal is to maybe every other week have someone sends related on to only focus on what the sends have been doing the last seven to ten days. And then I think, you know, if there's a double header or something like that, I'm going to try and get some other people on too from, from different teams to discuss the matchups and, and, you know, what to expect and, and stuff like that too. So I'm definitely going to try and get more um, – um, nonsense related content but still you know with an Ottawa focus of course so uh, if there's anyone you want to hear as always let let me know uh, shoot me a message either um, you know on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff uh, the podcast can be found on Twitter at last word on sends uh, it was a year ago today basically that I decided I was going to make this start this podcast and uh, you know 30 something episodes later I can't thank you enough for the sport and a great first year and you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to a big second year as well. So, um, you know, here, here's to an exciting season. And the next time I'm recording is when there will be some actual games on. So I think that's uh, that's super exciting, you know. Um, so I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving weekend. And I will talk to you all next week.